Well, good morning, Rocky Peak. Great to see you. My name's Michael, and I'm one of the pastors here. And I just want to welcome you as well. If it's your very first time, uh, so glad you're here with us. We're going to go into our time of teaching right now. And inside the program is a green and white message note sheet. We use it every week, but I always like to mention that because we have newcomers. And so I encourage you to take that out. And if you're ready to go, we're going to jump into our time of teaching. You ready to go? Okay, let's pray. God, we're just excited to be here in your presence and your place and looking to you for leadership. Jesus, we, we just love that you called yourself the good shepherd, that you're the ultimate shepherd, the one who shepherds us in our life, who comes and leads us by still waters, green pastures, leads us through rough times. And we, uh, we just need your shepherding today. We just stand as your people underneath the, leader, uh, underneath the need of your leadership in our lives. And we need your rod, your staff to guide us. And so today as we continue this journey, uh, as we discover our purpose, what we're created for, we pray that you'd be here in the power of your spirit. We just invite you to come and be our teacher. We're your people. We pray that you would be the head, we're your body. We pray that you would speak today. We pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Well, our story starts today uh, early on a summer morning, and he is apprehensive. Um, he has not been looking forward to this day, honestly. He, he signed up, he said yes, but only because his friend kept bugging him. And uh, now that the day's here, he's wondering, like, why did he ever do this? Kind of the biggest mistake of his life. And uh, frankly, he's just nervous. And he's not sure what this day is going to bring. So as he stands there in front of his closet, he's looking through his, his clothes, trying to figure out what to wear. He knows it's important. He carries off the, the, kind of the right impression, doesn't get the wrong impression. So he selects his outfit and uh, calls his buddy, and they, they end up kind of meeting up later on and making the long drive in to this appointed destination. And he's trying to play it cool as they're going, like, this is no big deal. But honestly, the closer he gets to the destination, the more nervous he's becoming. And he's starting to have, like, really some irrational thoughts. And he knows they're irrational. Like he's starting to picture himself jumping out of the car. And uh, he's actually telling himself in his mind, tuck and roll, tuck and roll. Um, but he, he knows even as he's thinking, this is not a real option. So finally when they arrive, they go through the first, uh, the first checkpoint. And now he's getting really nervous. But he's trying to calm himself. He's reminding himself that his friend has come here many times and returned every time safely. And therefore, it's probably okay. But about that moment, his friend turns to him and says, you know, no matter how many times I come here, I'm always nervous every time. And with that, his heart starts to beat in his chest. But he knows it's too late to go back now. Well, today... We are continuing this series that we've been in. This is like week six of it now, called Serving Sacrificially, Discovering Your Purpose. And if you're brand new here at Rocky Peak, we're just so glad you're here with us. Um, what this series is about is, is basically uh, we're going on a journey as a church, and our goal is to discover what I describe as God's vision for all of our lives and his specific calling and purpose for each of our lives. And so if you've been here the opening weeks, we've learned some amazing things from God's Word. And one of the most important, as we learned the very first week, is that when we come to Jesus, we discover, as mind-blowing as this is, hard to believe as it often is, that according to the Bible, that we have been chosen before time. 
And not only to be forgiven, not only to be adopted, become part of God's family, receive the gift of his spirit who comes to lead us and guide us and transform us, but we've actually been chosen before time to play a specific role, an important role in God's larger epic vision to bring all of heaven and earth, all creation under his leadership, healed and restored under the leadership of King Jesus. And so what we've been exploring in the last few weeks then is how do we discover uh, how we've been shaped for this. So what we've learned is that not only have been chosen to make a difference, but God has been shaping us over the course of our entire life. Now, to get at this, uh, how God has shaped us, the last couple of weeks we've introduced this uh, important acronym that's called SHAPE. And so S-H-A-P-E. And it's there on your note sheet. Uh, there's a section called uh, Serving Sacrificially, Shape to Serve. And we've begun to explore this. And so it's real quickly, want to hit those five letters again as we get oriented. And so what we've learned, these, there's these five key areas where God's been shaping us over the course of the, our life to carry out our specific light calling. Of course, the S stands for spiritual gifts. And we've been exploring that the last couple of weeks. We'll wrap that up today. Next week, we'll tackle the next two letters. We'll talk about our heart, these kind of God-given passions that God places in our heart to make a difference in specific areas or ministries. The A stands for our abilities, kind of our natural gifts and talents that each of us have that are part of our makeup that God is using to shape some of our, our life skills we've picked up along the way uh, that play into our life calling. The P stands for our personality. You each have a unique personality. How does that figure in? And then finally, the E of experience. And every one of us in the room has a unique set of experiences. How we were raised, where we were raised, how we were brought up, our early life experiences, educational experiences, work experiences, spiritual experiences, social, economic, racial experiences, all play in together for how God has shaped us. And of course, the idea is that the better we understand how we're designed, the quicker we can recognize and find the place where God has specifically called us. Now, so uh, this last couple of weeks, then we have been focusing in on this first area of shape, the area of spiritual gifts. And if you look there at the next section of your note sheet, we have a section called Serving Sacrificially, Growing Your Gifts. And so the last couple of weeks, we've highlighted four key principles. And I just want to touch on them again real lightly just to get us going today. We saw the first week we started with this working definition of a spiritual gift. We saw that a spiritual gift is a supernatural ability. So it's not just natural gifting, it's a supernatural ability given to us when we come to Christ, sometimes later in our walk with Christ. And it's given to us just to Christ's followers. Uh, it's not for the world outside. And it's given us to uniquely equip us to serve, especially the movement of Jesus, supernaturally to serve. Uh, we saw then uh, last week that every spiritual gift is vital. Remember, we looked at this analogy of the human body. Paul often says that, that the new community of Jesus is like the human body. That it's many different parts, but every role is vital. And therefore, number three, it's vital that everyone uses our gift. And we, we learned last week that when we don't use our gift, not only are we missing out on God's life purpose for us, but we're also ripping off the whole community of Jesus because we're designed to work together. And then finally, last week, we learned that the best way to discover our gifts is to experiment. So this week in our life groups, 
We took some spiritual gifts test. Hopefully that was helpful. I think they often are very helpful to help identify, focus our attention, get some discussion going. But ultimately, you're going to find your gifts best by jumping in and serving. And as we listen and follow, I use the analogy of getting off the bank into the boat kind of the the river of God's spirit, how he often in his circuitous way leads us through a set of experiences to where we discover ultimately our gifts, our calling, and our life purpose. So today we want to continue continue on and wrap up this first area of spiritual gifts. And I want to add three final principles today. So they're in your note sheet. You have number five. Let's jump in. First one, very important principle, and it goes like this that gifts grow when we use them, that our spiritual gifts uh, grow when we use them. In other words, I want you to catch this, that our spiritual gifts are truly supernatural gifts, but just because they're supernatural doesn't mean that they come fully uh, uh, fully formed and kind of ready to go. That just like our natural gifts, that spiritual gifts have to be developed They grow, and they grow as we use them. So let me give you an analogy. Uh, How many of Dodger fans we have in here? Awesome, that's great. Probably a few more now that we have uh, the new player. But um, anyway, so you're you're a Dodger fan. Um, You you remember this. So last year we lost in the playoffs. I'll say we because I'm a Dodger fan of some sort. And um, so not like some of you are diehard fans, but... Uh, but I'm a Dodger fan, have been since I was a kid. And so, um, so if, if you're a Dodger fan, you may remember this. That last year, we, won, we, we lost in the playoffs to the Washington Nationals, who, who beat us fairly without stealing signs. But anyway, <laughs> um, just, just saying, anyway. Um, and so we, we honor them. Um, anyway, so we, we lost, and they went on to win the World Series fairly. And, um, and so we, we honor that. But uh, anyway... Um, but anyway, so, so let's say it's, we're going to jump ahead a couple months. It's April. The season has started. It's now April the 10th, and this is a true story. The, nation, the Nationals will be in town, right? And so we decide we want to go see this team and see how we match up. And so you and I decided to go to the Dodger game together. So like true L.A. fans, we arrive late. Uh, <laughs> about the second inning, we pull in. And we go in, we get our hot dog, we get our beverage of choice, which I won't say what it is. And so we head to our seat, right? And so we, we sit down the top of the third when the game's starting. And, uh, and so the Nationals are up. And, uh, and so we, we, uh, we're, we're watching the game. We have uh, playing shortstop for us today, Corey Sager, right? So Corey's, he is the uh, 2016 Rookie of the Year, two-time All-Star amazing player. And so he's in shortstop. Now, for those of you who are non-baseball fans, that's between second and third base. And uh, so one of their best batters is up, and he hits a sharp grounder to the hole, which is between uh, second and third base. I'm shortstop to my right. And so he hits a sharp grounder to my right. And Corey Sager takes off, and he backhands it deep in the hole. He stops and plants, fires a perfect strike across the diamond, and nips the runner by a half step. And the stadium erupts. We go wild, right? So I'm thinking, like, if this doesn't work out, color commentary may be my thing. But anyway... We go crazy, we're jumping up, we're, we're spilling our beverage of choice on one another, we're high-fiving each other. Did you see that play? That play was awesome! And you turn to me and say, that guy is so gifted. 
And you would be absolutely right. We know that what we just saw was amazing. There are only a few people in all these billions of people on planet that could make that play. In fact, that play will probably make this sports center highlight reel at the end of the day. It may be play of the day. And we both know it as baseball fans, intuitive. That is incredible. And when you say, that guy is so gifted, I say, you are absolutely right. But here's the thing. What I want you to catch is that not even Corey Sager could make that play without countless hours on the baseball diamond, making that backhand catch and throw time and time again since he was in third grade. Out there after dark when his friends are gone home and he's taking grounders from his dad or from his coach. The time all the way through, through high school, through the minor leagues, working so hard. Yes, he's incredibly gifted, but not even Corey Sager can make that play without developing his gifts, right? And here's what I want you to catch. When it comes to spiritual gifts, yes, you are gifted. God has gifted each one of us, but our gifts don't come fully formed. They have to be developed. And our gifts grow as we use them. So let me give you some practical examples of this just to kind of, kind of flesh this out. Dramatic pause. Um, so um, let's say that you have the gift of encouragement. I won't ask for a show of hands. I don't want to embarrass you. But some of you in this room I know have the gift of encouragement, right? And so if you have the gift of encouragement, let me tell you a little bit how that gift operates, right? So first of all, if you have the gift of encouragement, you have like a sixth sense for recognized discouraged discourage people. Like if you're in a life group, you, you can pick up on little things that others don't even recognize. Something's wrong with her. And, and everyone else, they don't even recognize, but you, rec- you, you recognize something is wrong. And not only do you recognize that it's wrong, that you sort of have a sixth sense of how to move towards that in a way that's actually encouraging to people. That you, you actually, you kind of know how to do it. And you, you know how to move in, you know how to start the conversation, you know kind of what to say, how to listen, you know how to encourage in such a way that it truly puts courage back, it's what to encourage is to like put courage back into someone. Like you know what to say and do in a way that people really are lifted up. So for example, like if you think that you have the gift of encouragement, but everyone around you is always discouraged, You don't have that gift, right? You might think you do, but you really don't, right? So for some of the rest of us in this room, when we see someone's discouraged, which we may not recognize until they're bawling on the floor, but when we see that, we want to head to the, to, you know, to the kitchen to get some punch during live group. Like we want to go the other direction because well, this is very awkward and we don't know what to do. Like we think they're discouraged. We hope someone helps them right? Um, but in the meantime, I'm heading this way to get a cup of coffee. So, but here's the thing. If you have that gift of, of encouragement, that, that's supernatural. You recognize 
the person in distress long before others do, and you kind of have an intuitive sense of what to do to actually encourage them. But here's what I want you to catch. That gift will never develop until you choose to listen and follow the Holy Spirit and to step into situations where people are truly discouraged and love them well. And that often requires sacrificial service. Because when you're in your life group and it's 9.45 and you have to get up the next morning, but you've recognized that someone is discouraged, you have to decide whether to stay late and go over and say, hey, are you okay? You just seem a little bit off tonight. Is everything all right? Which could lead to a major discussion and a lot of time. You have to decide to step into that and to use your gift to serve and love them well or to say, you know what, that's okay. They'll probably be all right. But what happens is that every time you say yes to the Holy Spirit and you step in and use that gift, your gift develops like Corey Sager's gift and you get a little bit better. You learn how to listen to the Holy Spirit. You learn how to discern what the Spirit is saying for you to do. You learn how to read people a little bit better. You get a little bit uh, less self-conscious and a little more others conscious and you become a better conduit of the Holy Spirit, and you begin to sense the Holy Spirit using in that way as you use your gift. Are you with me in this? So as we use our gifts, they, they develop. Let me give you another example. Some of you in this room have gifts of leadership. And if you have gifts of leadership, let me tell you some of the telltale signs. One of the signs you have gifts of leadership is it really frustrates you when things are not run well. You're in a situation, could be your business, it could be a life group, it could be a ministry, it could be anything, but it just frustrates you because you can see, like, this could be so good, but it's not. And you can see, like, to you, it's obvious why it's not, and you're so frustrated. Like, why does it, why don't those in charge see that and fix this? Like, that's, that's often, if you're frustrated a lot in organizational, it's often because you have a gift of leadership. Um, uh, leaders tend to see farther and see faster than other people. What's going on? Like what's coming? What's happening? They tend to be able to see how you get from point A to point B quicker than, than other people, right? I remember a really funny story that uh, John Maxwell, the famous uh, kind of, kind of you know, leadership guru, has told that just, uh, it just made me laugh. Is it like you're at a family gathering, you have 20 relatives going out to a restaurant, right? And so uh, you, you have like people with the gift of leadership are trying to get their early scope out the place. Where are we going to sit? Reserving tables, got one leg here, one arm here, <laughs> right? Because you can see what's going to happen. Everyone else is just talking, 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 completely absorbed. And they get in like, oh, where are we going to sit? And you're like, over here, you know? <laughs> because you can see like what's going to happen before it happens, right? And so, but here's the point. If you have the gift of leadership, that gift doesn't come fully formed. Like you have to use it. That's why when I'm working with young leaders, like I always want to say, well, what are you leading now? Yeah, I, I want to get you reading and thinking and observing and learning and teaching, but I need you leading something because it's when you're leading something that it draws out the gift and develops the gift. 
this works the same way like with the gift of teaching. Some of you have the gift of teaching. Uh, uh, teaching the word, for example. And if you have the gift of teaching the word, here's some of the signs. That when you're reading the word, it comes alive to you. You see things in there that most people don't see or that a lot of people don't see. And you, and you see why they're so important. And you see like how transformative these truths could be. And if, boy, everyone needs to know this. And you have almost like a compelling need to not just learn it, but to share it, right? And so let's say you have those gifts, but you know those gifts aren't come fully formed. Uh, how to craft a message, how to design a message, how to simplify a message, how to illustrate it, how to organize it so people can really kind of catch on and, and receive it. Like that takes a lot of time and hard work, right? It doesn't come fully formed. I remember the first time that I taught in a public setting, like a, large, like a church setting, I was 28, which was I mean, about 15 years ago. And, uh, <laughs> but it, time flies, it seems like longer. But anyway... <laughs> I remember I was 28, and so here's the scene. I, I had be, just come on staff at a church, a small church, about 150 adults at a weekend service, and my best friend was the pastor. He's the only pastor, and so it was just two of us on staff. And at that point in my life, uh, that he had seen me teach, we were close friends, but he had seen me teach one time. And it was in a small, it was in his living room uh, at a men's Bible study. And later he would describe it as, and you weren't that good. <laughs> but, uh, but he saw teaching gifts in me, right? He saw, like the way my mind thought or the way when we talk, when we get together every week, share our life. Like he saw those gifts. And so when I came on staff as a second pastor, right away, he said, I want you to be one of the teaching pastors. I want to share the, share the teaching. And he'd never seen me teach. Right? Never seen me teach. This is one time when I did a bad job in a small setting. And, um, and so I remember that first week, uh, or the first couple, like preparing my first message, and I chose to teach on Jeremiah, which was my first mistake. Um, <laughs> but God had like really and powerfully used that passage in my life, and there's some powerful truths. I thought life-changing truths. So the Holy Spirit was really uh, like he, he was gifting me and he'd given me something to say, but can I tell you, it was so hard. That first time I taught in a public setting, I probably spent literally 40 to 60 hours on that message, no kidding. And I didn't know how to prepare a message. I didn't know how to organize a message. I didn't even know how to create a message. And so behind the scenes and preparing for that, I'm probably spending 40, 60 hours and I'm constantly thinking on it because I don't even know like, well, how do you prepare a message? Should you work on it every day and then let it rest? Or do you need to keep on working until it comes to you? Like, how does this work? All I know is that right now it's horrible. And so I just kept on working. I can remember driving along in my VW bus working on this message, you know, just banging my head against the wall. And when the day finally comes, you know, you say, how did it go? Eh, okay, you know, like not that great. It was, there was some definitely, there's some gold in them there, hills, you know. There was some, the Holy Spirit could make something out of nothing, and so it was okay, right? But it just wasn't that great. I remember my mom afterwards. Of course, my mom's there my first time, right? Like moms have to be there, right? And so afterwards, you don't want to ask because you're afraid of the answer, but you're hoping it was better than you thought. And, uh, and so she comes up and she just starts with the obvious things like, well, you were walking kind of fast. I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, you were like a sentry. You were like pacing back and forth like this. 
And she said, you were talking so fast I could hardly understand you. I'm like, mom, I was nervous. Like that had never dawned on her, you know, that it might be. But the point is, it's like, did I have the gift? Yes, I had the gift, right? Like God had given me that gift, but it doesn't come fully formed. And so if God has given you gifts, we have to invest in those gifts. We have to give those gifts our best. Like I love in Romans 12, we won't look at there now, but in Romans 12, 4 through 8, where it says, like, if you have the gift of leadership, lead diligently. If you have the gift of teaching, teach well. The idea is whatever gifts God has given you, Corey Sager it, you know? Go after it, invest in your gift, use your gift, practice your gift, because your gift will grow as you use it. I love the passage in, uh, in 1 Timothy uh, there. Well, first of all, let's look at the quote from Rick uh, from, from our reading. He says, whatever gifts you have been given can be enlarged and developed through practice. For instance, no one gets the gift of teaching fully developed, but with study, with feedback and practice, a good teacher can become a better teacher and with time grow to be a master teacher. Don't settle for a half-developed gift. And that applies whether your gift is administration or service or helps or teaching or leadership or whatever it is. But the passage that is such a challenge to me is there in your note sheet. It's from 1 Timothy chapter 4. And so the scene is, the setting is that uh, the Apostle Paul is writing to his young, uh, younger pastor, but a guy who's been in ministry a long time by this, this point. His name is Timothy. In fact, he's so, he's so uh, capable that Paul has put him over the, the whole series of house churches in Ephesus, the fourth largest city in the Roman world. And so Timothy is an accomplished pastor, but look what Paul says to him, how he challenges him. In 1 Timothy 4, he says, do not what? Yeah, underline that. Do not neglect your gift. And I want to ask you a rhetorical question here. No show of hands. But the question I'd ask you right now is whether you know your gifts super clearly or you're just discovering, like, are you neglecting your gifts? Are you investing in your gifts or are you neglecting? And he goes on and he says something really interesting. He says, do not neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you, right? So apparently at some point in the past, probably distant past, there had been some sort of situation where the church where Paul and Timothy were operating, they felt led for the the elders to pray for Timothy for some reason. We don't know whether, whether it was a specific reason or not. But they're praying for him, and as they're praying for him, one or more of the elders has a prophetic word about his life, his calling, God's purpose, and there's actually some spiritual gifts. The elders become kind of a conduit for God giving some spiritual gifts to Timothy at that point, probably gifts of teaching, gifts of leadership. And so now we're years down the line, and Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, don't neglect your gifts. Like we know what God's calling us in your life. There was a prophetic word. We all heard it. You were there. You know the gifts he's given you, so now don't neglect your gifts. And then he goes on, and I love this. He says, be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your what? Your progress. So you see the implication? 
The implication is, is that when God gives us our gifts, they're not fully formed, but as we give ourselves wholly to them and use them, we will see progress. We will get better. Just like you can see a physical athlete, hey, they were good then, but they are getting better. So the question is, are you fully investing in your gifts so that others can see your progress? So the first principle we're looking at today, number five, is that gifts grow when we use them. Number six, the sixth principle is that gifts come with responsibility. So one of the, the very first principle we learned in this section on spiritual gifts is that Spiritual gifts are not given primarily for us. They're given up to equip us to serve. And because that's the case, because God has gifted you to be a conduit of his grace um, through this gift, that we're held accountable for those. We have to give an answer for those. Um, so Jesus often taught this principle is that when God gives us gifts, resources, we're held accountable. You may have heard this phrase, to whom much is given, much is required, right? And so that comes from passages like Luke 12, there in your note sheet, where Jesus said, from, from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. The more your gifts you're given, the more you're held require, uh, responsible for. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Now, Jesus goes on to tell, uh, or, or uh, later on in his ministry, will tell a very famous short story to illustrate this. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but Jesus was an itinerant uh, pastor, preacher. So he would be teaching all over. And so like any itinerant preacher, I'm sure he's using his stories multiple times in multiple different settings, his illustrations. Um, And Jesus would often take his illustrations from everyday life. So often when we read his short stories, his parables, they'll seem foreign to us because we don't live in the first century. But in the first century, his illustrations, whether it's about, you know, casting seed in a field or uh, about an, uh, a tree growing up or about putting your light under a bushel, these are just all uh, kind of parts of everyday life. So he just takes normal part of everyday life and he fills them full of spiritual significance. And so he, he tells these short stories and he tells them multiple times. And so on this particular short story, he's, we actually have a couple different versions of it. One told by uh, Matthew in his gospel, one told by Luke in his gospel. So I'm going to go with Matthew's version, which is from Matthew 25. But at certain key points, I'll introduce parts of Luke's version in Luke chapter 19. So here's the story. Jesus, once upon a time, there was a wealthy landowner. And this is how Israel was. A lot of big wealthy landowners, not a much of a middle class. A lot of wealthy landowners and then servants. And he says, so it's a very out of everyday life kind of story. He said, once upon a time, there was a, a wealthy landowner and he's going to go on a long trip. And this would often be the case. They would travel to Rome, travel to Alexandria, travel to Ephesus, travel to Athens, whatever, on business or pleasure, sightseeing or whatever. So he said, he calls in these three servants he has and he says, I'm going to trust my estate to you. And uh, he's going to give them a certain amount of finances to manage for him while he's gone. Now, I want you to write this down. In Matthew's version, as he tells the story, he uses the term talent, right? So I want, here's the part I want you to write down. Let me tell you how much money a talent is. A talent is the equivalent of 20 years of salary for an average, like a working person, like a common laborer, okay? 
a talent's 20 years. So, um, so in this story, she calls in the first servant, who's the most gifted, and he's going to give them different amounts based on their giftings. He calls in the first servant, and he gives him five talents of money. So, so how many years worth of a service, or, or a salary would that be? A hundred. Good. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Nine o'clock was good, too. Nine o'clock was good. Uh, Saturday was really missing. Uh, they were like, I had to break this down and like go back to third grade, you know? So like if one talent is worth 20 years, five talents would be, and at that point they got it. Um, but anyway, so I'm, I'm glad to be with you. But anyway, um, I'm sorry for those Saturday night people, but um, they're normally very sharp. They're normally very sharp, but there was a Toby Mac concert. That might, that might be why. I don't know that they might have been They're normally there, you know, those sharp people. But anyway, um, but anyway, so uh, what I want you to get, this is a lot of money, all right? It's a lot of money. So he calls in the first servant, and he gives them the five talents, second servant two, the third servant one, but still a lot of money, right? It's like 20 years of salary. And so he says, I'm going on a trip, and I'm going to entrust this to you. I want you to invest it, use this money while I'm gone. And so he goes on a long trip. And when he gets back, he calls in the three servants just to see how they did, hold them accountable. And, and of course, the first two servants do great. Uh, they have doubled their uh, investment, 100%. So the five has gone to 10, the two has gone to four, but the third person, not so sharp. Uh, they started with one, they end with one. They've done nothing with the resources. And so the master, you know, is pretty rough on him and says like, hey, that's crazy. And the guy comes up with this excuse. Yeah, I just, I was afraid I might lose it. And the master, that's not really the answer. The, the answer is you're, you're wicked and lazy. So we're taking the one talent away from you. We're giving it to the one who now is 10 because obviously he knows how to manage it, right? So that's the story. Now, I want to make four observations from this short story, all right? First observation is, the question is, when did Jesus tell it, and who are the key players in this story? So first of all, this is very important to understand the story. Jesus tells his story in Matthew's account the last week of his life, right? So the week he's going to be executed. In Luke's version, he tells his version on the way to Jerusalem the last time. So both are at the very end of his life. And in Luke's account, Luke gives us a great insight. He says the reason that Jesus told this story was because his followers thought the kingdom of God was about to come in power right here, right now. So we know that the disciples, they were of the mindset as they go to Jerusalem last time, we think Jesus is about to take his supernatural power, unleash it on Rome, and the long-promised kingdom of God is coming with power. That's their mindset. Jesus is beginning to help them understand that's not what's going to happen. The kingdom is not about to come in power. That's going to come later. And so what he's trying to tell them is he's actually going to be crucified, rise. He's going to return to the Father. And so in the parable, in the short story, Jesus is the master who is going away for a long time. And the servants represent the disciples, us, who are left here to manage his affairs and his kingdom while he's gone, all right? That's the first, first observation. The second point is that, the second observation is the purpose of this short story is to help us understand that as followers of Jesus, while he's gone, we are accountable for the gifts, the resources, 
that he's entrusted to us to use them wisely for him. The third principle, and this is the one that is, is really challenging and maybe even challenge some of your thoughts, is that Jesus wants to understand that our lives after he comes back will be impacted by how we manage his resources while he's away. Now, this is interesting because for many Christ followers, we tend to think that when Jesus comes back, we will go in the next life and it'll all be the same for all of us. But the Bible consistently says that is not true. That when he comes back, there'll be certain rewards, certain consequences. It will not all be the same. That we're called to rule with him in the next life, and our role in the next life will be determined on our faithfulness in this life. And so I want you to see how Jesus says this. In Matthew 25, and so in Matthew's version, uh, he's talking to the first servant who's doubled his five, his five talents to ten. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with what? A few things. Okay? Which, interesting, he calls this 100 years of salary, a few things. Yeah. And I will put you in charge of what? Many things. Now, again, remember the point of this parable. The master coming back is equivalent to Jesus' return. And so when Jesus is commending and talking about rewarding, he's not talking about this life. He's talking about what? The next life. And he says, because you have been faithful with few things, you're now going to be in charge, promoted over many things in the next life. Look at how Luke tells the story. In Luke's version, it's a little bit different. There's 10 servants instead of three. Each of them are given the same amount, 10 minas instead of talents. We won't go into minas. But, when, but that the end result is the same. When he comes back, the first servant comes in, he's doubled the investment, and this is what the master says. The first one came and said, sir, your mina has earned 10 more. And he said, well done, my good servant, his master replied, because you've been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of what? 10 cities. Now, I don't know what you think the next life is like, but the Bible is pretty clear. It's not about harps and clouds. And so exactly what the new heavens and new earth will be like, uh, exactly what our role, what life will be like, the Bible doesn't always spell it out. But when it does talk about it, it talks about it in terms we can understand. Hey, you've been faithful with managing your gifts and resources. I want to promote you to oversee 10 cities in this next life that's coming, this new, new heavens, new earth. And what I want you to catch, this is so important, is that up to this point in this series, we may be thinking, okay, so God's created me with a purpose, and he wants to use me in epic ways. And if I don't use my gifts and resources, I'm letting down the whole community of Jesus in the here and now. And that is absolutely true. But what I want you to catch is when you are not using your gifts and resources, you're not just affecting now, your eternal destiny is being impacted. And Jesus cannot be more clear than he has been. And so this just creates 
even more of a sense of the epic dimension of our lives. You and I are created for something great to make a difference. And when we don't listen and follow, all of eternity is impacted by that decision. Now, number seven. Oh, let's, one more thing. I want to give you one more observation. One more observation was super interesting about this account is that when Jesus, uh, notice how he ends both of the accounts the same way. In both accounts, he talks to the, the, the master, says to the wicked and lazy servant, take away their one talent or take away their minus and give them to the person who has the most. And you say, well, why would he do that? It's like, well, that just makes sense, right? You want, you want your gifts and resources in the hands of those who know how to use them, who will maximize them. And so Jesus seems to be saying that there's sort of a use it or lose it principle. That when God gives us gifts to use, like, well, if you're not going to use them, there comes a point where sometimes he'll just take them away and give them to someone who will use them. Because I need these functions in the body of Christ to be happening. And it's interesting, this is how Luke describes it in his version. He said, I tell you that everyone who has, the more will be given. So the 10 talent person or the 10 uh, minor person, more will be given. But as for the one who has, who has nothing has been taken away, even what they have will be taken away. And so Rick makes a comment on this parable, Rick Warren, and Purpose Driven Life. He said, if you don't exercise your muscles, they weaken and atrophy. And in the same way, if you don't utilize the abilities and skills God has given you, you will lose them. Jesus taught the parable of the talents to emphasize this truth. Fail to use what you've been given, and you'll lose it. Use the ability you've got, and God will increase it. So there's a lot writing on this. We, we don't stay level. Like if we don't use what we have, it gets taken away, right? So how that works and all that, I can't explain all that, but Jesus is being very clear. Use it. Invest in it because otherwise there may come a time when you lose. I thought this week of Samson. You think of the supernatural power of Samson and God used him in amazing ways, but then he stopped listening and following and what happened? That he lost that. He lost that power. He lost that gift until the very end when it was returned. All right, so number seven. Number seven goes like this, that we grow when we use our gifts. So this is powerful. Not only, um, not only do our gifts grow when we use them, but we grow. In fact, I would describe it this way, that when you're using your gift, you will often experience the presence, the power, the pleasure, and the purpose of God, a sense of this is what I was made to do, in a way that you will not experience the presence of God in any other way in your life. Uh, let me illustrate it like this. Um, how many of you remember the movie Chariots of Fire? Most of you remember that. Right, I remember it. Some of you won't because you were born before 82. But uh, maybe you've seen clips. It was, very, it was, a, it was a kind of a, a very um, kind of uh, cutting-edge movie at the time. Uh, in fact, it won uh, the, the best picture of the year, the Oscar for the best picture in 1982. And so some of you may remember that scenes. Remember, remember they're running on the beach and it's like slow motion. Da, 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 da. Yeah, kind of a new stuff. So anyway, it's an amazing story. And it focuses a true life story on these two athletes, a, a Jewish athlete, two, two sprinters, a Jewish sprinter and um, the, the Christian sprinter, uh, Eric Little. 
And, um, and so you, you may remember in the story that um, Eric was a passionate follower of Jesus. He just loved Jesus. In fact, he was planning later on in his life to become a missionary to China. Um, but at this point in his life, he's, 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 he's racing. And at this point in time, if I remember right, he holds the world record at this point. They're going to compete in the 1924 Olympics. And uh, at this point in time, if I remember right, he held the world record. He held it for a while. So going into the 100-meter the dash, he was the, the favorite. But as he went through all the prelims and he won all those, it, it, they scheduled the final race to be on the Sunday. And for Christians back then in that era, they really saw uh, Sunday as the Lord's Day. Uh, we shouldn't be competing or involved in sports and all on the Lord's Day. And so out of a deep sense of conviction and a great personal sacrifice, he, he chose not to run, to give up the gold medal because, and to honor the Lord that way in his life. And so it was, it was big news, international news. You know, it's just like you think the top sprinter in the world and, and making this because of his commitment, making this decision. It was big news. But uh, he was also slated to run the 400 meter, which was not his big event, and uh, he was not at all favored to win. But right before he races, one of his fellow athletes comes up and gives him a slip of paper, and on it he'd written this verse, and it was this verse that said, he who honors me, I will honor. And when the gun sounded, he took off and he ran the race of his life, and against all odds, in dramatic fashion, he won the 400 meter meter race, and it was just, it was, it was mind-boggling, right? So it's this amazing story of his faith, but one of my favorite scenes, and some of you may remember this, is there's a scene in the movies where he's having this conversation with his sister, and she's really frustrated with him that he's running and racing and wasting his life. Why aren't you going to China now and starting to be a missionary, do something that really counts? And so there's this beautiful, tender scene, kind of an intense scene, but very tender between them, and he says to, to her, and some of you will remember this, he says, he says to his sister, he said, I, I believe that God has made me for a purpose. And of course, that's what we're talking about in this series, right? I believe that God has made me for a purpose. But he said, but he's also made me fast. And he said, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. I love that. Because it encapsulates this whole point that when we discover our gifts and we're running our race and we're running in our lane and we're listening and following, there are times when you experience the presence and power of God working in and through you in a way you will never experience it in any other way. More, different than worship, different than in the word, different than times of kind of unusual spiritual gift. There's a way that you experience the presence and power of God. Now, now, not all the time. Sometimes it's just hard work, and sometimes it's just slaving away. Think of me 28 years old in that VW bus. You're just trying to figure it out. I'm not saying that, hey, if you find your air, it's always going to be like, hey, I'm feeling his pleasure. No, you won't. But there will be times when you are running in your race the way he's gifted you, you will experience the presence and the power of God flowing in and through you in a way you cannot experience it any other way. Like, for example, that person that has the gift of encouragement, or we talked about them later, there are times when he or she steps into that need and, 
as they're operating their area of gifting, they just sense the Holy Spirit flowing through them. I, I think of some of the people that work in our prayer corner over here. And so many times I've talked to them and where someone comes and begins to share their need and they begin to pray for them. And the person says afterwards, how did you know what I was going through? I didn't know. It's just what the Holy Spirit was putting in my heart to pray very specifically for your life. And they sense the presence and power of God. That person has the gift of encouragement. They sense the words are their words, but they're more than their words. They're empowered by the Holy Spirit. And you watch those words having impact on a person's life and the courage flowing back into that person and their spirit beginning to soar. You have that gift of leadership and you have those moments where you sense where we need to go and you sense what God is calling you to do and you cast vision for that and people respond and you watch God creating a ministry or creating a class or whatever it is and you watch the Holy Spirit and you sense the Holy Spirit working in and through you. You have that gift of teaching and while you're preparing or while you're delivering, you sense it's you, but it's more than you. The Holy Spirit's working. And this is what I'm saying, that when we're operating in our area of gifting, there are times when you sense the wind of the Holy Spirit filling your sail and you are being carried along and you sense the pleasure and the power and the presence and the purpose of God for which you are made, which you will not experience in any other way. You know, we started the day with a story of this man who's getting up on this summer morning trying to decide what to wear, already feeling apprehensive, wanting to give the right impression, driving there with his buddy, headed down the freeway, trying to stay calm, uh, kind of talking himself, it's going to be okay. And then after they go through the first uh, kind of cross point, uh, his friend saying, I never get to the place where I'm not nervous when I, I come here and the fear coming back. Uh, this is a real story. It's a true story. It's a story from someone here at Rocky Peak. In fact, we actually shared this story a couple years ago in one of our Serving Sacrificially videos. But I want to bring it back today because as we wrap up our teaching on spiritual gifts today, this story illustrates so much to me of how spiritual gifts work, how to find your gift, you somehow you have to get off the bank and into the boat. How, how often finding your gift is a circuitous route, but how when you find it, you experience the presence, the power, the direction of God in ways you don't in any other way. So let's turn our attention to the screen and let's listen in. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. My name is Mike Gildroy. I'm married to Maria, my wife, for the past 30 years. I have two grown sons, Nick and Sean, both working for the Venturi County Sheriff's Department. I've been an electrician for over 30 years. What I love about being an electrician is I can see the end product work. I'm also the uh, president of the union. I have over 200 members that I represent and do contract negotiations. I was going to church, but it was just the motions of going to church. I judged God on the people that were in church. But as I started developing my relationship with God, 
now I can see how he has been working in my life the entire time to bring a ministry to me. I was uh, working at an uh, aerospace firm at the time. There was a guy that was holding a Bible study. Uh, he was doing jail ministries. He invited me, kept on nagging at me. So to get him off my back, I said, sure, I'll go to jail ministries. I remember going through the guard shacks, going through the uh, facility there, and I remember just praying to God, thinking that uh, I've got my brother Calvin with me, you know, a seasoned veteran coming in here. Calvin turned around and says, you know what? He goes, every time I come in here, I'm so nervous. And that just freaked me out because if he was nervous, then I'm nervous. So I remember standing at the door when all these inmates were coming at me, and I, I remember don't, don't have eye contact. You know, don't have eye contact. So I remember greeting the guys like this, uh, welcome to church service, uh, welcome to church service. And I just want to keep my head down low as they came by. But when the church service started, I, mean, I know this is cliche, but God just uh, put on my heart that this is what I want you to be. When I did start serving in the jail ministries there, I told God, I will counsel, I will do anything with any inmate as long as they're not rapists or murderers. That was the two things that I told God. Everything else was on the table but those two. And the first one that I actually counseled was a 19-year-old guy that was accused of rape. When I was uh, counseling him, I just, God just says, this is, this is my child too. And he's made mistakes. Never forget that he finally had somebody they can talk to, somebody that had a heart for him. That was a big turning point in my life because that allowed me to open up my heart to anybody that wanted to come in to seek God. These men know. They know they did something wrong. They're in a vulnerable spot. So when we come in, we are an example of Christ loving on them. And that's where they see that they're worth something, probably for the first time in their lives. I started learning how to preach, started learning how to teach. I remember the senior chaplain come up to me um, after about six months to a year and says, you know, you can't do the things you're doing because that's a chaplain's duty. And I said, okay, so what does it take to be a chaplain? He says, well, you need to have, be recognized by your church as a licensed pastor. And I just remember laughing. I mean, I said, that's not gonna happen to me. I'm a blue collar guy. I don't have the schooling or training. So I remember sitting in the elder board, um, talking to the elders of the church, and within a half hour, they uh, proved me to be a licensed pastor. And that's kind of when I knew that God was really going to move my life to move to the next level. So then I became a chaplain. And as I did that, one of the facilities in LA County Jail started to reopen again. And my name came up. And then I remember laughing again and saying, okay, you got the wrong guy. I mean, I don't have the education. I'm not a seminary student. I haven't uh, done classes. Besides the fact is I got a wife and two kids and a job and how am I supposed to do all this stuff? And then all of a sudden, I, they approached me and said, this is what we want you to do. So I started overseeing the South facility, and I've been there for the past 15 years. One of the things that I always tell all volunteers, people that come in there, is that we do everything. I mean, it's like taking Rocky Peak, and that's what we do in a condensed style. You know, we're doing church services. We're doing Bible studies. We're doing counselings. One of the hardest things is death notifications where, you know, unfortunately an inmate's uh, family passes away and we got to give them the news. It's not like these guys got a choice of churches they can go to. It's not like they can pick Rocky Peak or whatever church if they don't like it or whatever their deal is. These men have this time and we need to give them 100% of the best and show who Jesus Christ is. I remember when I started going to Rocky Peak and they started talking about life groups. It dawned on me, what if I can take 
the concept of life groups of Rocky Peak and bring that into the jails. So in November of 2016, we started our version of life groups. We call them spiritual leaders. And so we started with four guys. As of now, we have at least two spiritual leaders in every dorm. We meet with those guys. Uh, we mentor those guys. We give them materials. I believe that we are in the process of making disciples. Father, guide us today. Give us the words that So I belong to a life group, and every session we do a service project. And this one I threw out the idea of coming to the uh, prison ministries. Amen. Amen. All right. Amen. Go! This morning we're going to have church service, just basically like you have at uh, Rocky Peak. Uh, only uh, they're all dressed the same. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to uh, seeing what God's going to do today. Every uh, time I come in here, it's always uh, amazing to see how God uh, touches uh, lives, not only with the... Uh, with the inmates, uh, sometimes with the deputies. I get the opportunity to preach the Word of God, to love on people with the Word of God, and see changes. This is a right mission field where these men are in a, a vulnerable state. And I've always said that when you get that opportunity where someone comes up to you and says, those classic words, what must I do to be saved? I mean, that's what you live for, that's what you serve for. I am the prime example of how God can use a blue collar guy that's got a 12th grade education, works out in construction all my life, and I'm a senior chaplain of a facility. When you think that you need to be this person or that person or have this education or that education, no. Number one, I'm really on God 100% on this ministry each and every day, and I'm not qualified. But God, through His power, allows me to do what I do. Isn't that an amazing story? In the last three weeks, we've been sharing these three stories with you. It's the Steve Gers Himalayan Joy Home, the uh, Abby's story with Good News Clubs, my story. Uh, it's more than inspiration. It's not just about inspiration. It's illustration. And what you see in the lives of these three examples we've given is it that all three were simply responding. Like they, it's like none of them had an idea where the river would take them. You know, Steve never saw himself opening up uh, a home for, for uh, abandoned girls in India. Abby never saw herself as doing good news clubs. Mike, you could tell him, for ne never thought of himself being in prison ministry. That's the point, is that God's vision for your life is so much bigger and so much different than often we think. And the way we discover it is not by sitting on the sidelines until we get that kind of burning bush experience, you know, go to Egypt, but, but by listening and following, getting off the bank into the boat 
and seeing where the, where the river of God's spirit takes us. Uh, you know, it's interesting because well, there's so much more to Mike's story than we could tell in a short video. But, you know, before he'd done this, can I tell you some of the ministries he'd been involved with? I mean, he'd been involved with kids' ministry. He'd been involved with worship ministry. He'd run the soundboard. Um, he had uh, led a few men's Bible studies. He had, uh, he'd ha- had helped uh, plan men's retreats. And so it wasn't like this was the first thing he'd ever done. But often in our life, when we get in the game, God begins to shape us in the ministries we are involved with. And over time, he maneuvers us, teaches us, shapes our character, teaches us how to surrender, how to hear his voice. And then we come to a place where we find this is the place. This is what he's been preparing me for all along. And so I just want to encourage you that as we wrap up this section on spiritual gifts, that it's so important that each of us learn to discover how he's gifted us, where he's gifted us, and then, like Timothy, we invest in those gifts. We don't neglect our gifts, that we listen and follow when the Spirit's leading, we get in the game uh, and, and see where that river takes us. And in terms of this ministry, if any of you are feeling God nudging you that way, I don't know if you noticed, but it's set up here, but Mike will be out at the starting point afterwards, and there's several people last night that just felt like God was calling him to investigate this for them. That may be some of you. But the important thing is whether it's this ministry or some other ministry that we listen and follow, it's that we jump in the game because as we use our gifts, that's how they grow. Uh, As we grow our gifts, it's how we grow. And as we've seen today, there are eternal, epic repercussions of how we respond to the gifts God has given us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. God, we're just so thankful for your move of your spirit here at Rocky Peak, and we just want more. God, we pray that we would be responsive to your leadership, that as we listen, as we follow, as we respond, that you would lead us each step of the way, help us to discover our gifts, and then move us to invest in our gifts that we can make a difference, not just for now, but for eternity. And we pray as we bring our tithes, our gifts, our offerings, would you use these now to unleash a movement that is truly a movement of passionate Christ followers. We pray it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, would you stand with me?